Welcome to the Kingdom Life San Antonio podcast. For more information about Kingdom Life San Antonio, check out KingdomLifeSA.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Sorry, I'll just use this one. I totally wasn't ready. Yep, this is good. This is the preaching mic. That's the teaching mic. Well, it's good to be back with you guys. I have my daughter with me. We all came down, um, but so everyone was here, our two sons and my wife, but they, um, our, our cow just had a calf last week, so we have a brand new calf, and we couldn't find someone to milk the cow tonight, so Lauren had to go home. I know, exactly. That's that old excuse. So she took the boys and went home to milk the cow tonight. We bought a new cow that gives at least five gallons of milk a day. So this is a lot of milk. And when when you have a cow that is milking, it's not, you can't just leave without having everything in place. So um, I'm going to show you a picture of my family real fast. We showed you this last time when Brittany and I were here, but that's Lauren. Brooklyn is here. Bebo, will you stand up for a minute? We went to the water park yesterday and today just for a minute, for a second. She's so tired. We've been in the sun for a long time, and she is exhausted. But that's her throwing the chicken. And then August and Arrow. And then will you show that next picture? This is the new cow right there. That's the new calf does not have a name yet because we still have some zoom zoom because we still have some decisions to make of whether what we're going to do with the cow. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you don't want to name them because if you name them, it's harder to do other things. But there's mom. Mom is Ivy, and Arrow is sitting there petting his baby calf that he loves so much. All right. Yeah, I know. Uh-oh. I don't know how it's going to work now. Um, I'll show you a couple books real quick, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, this is my newest book. I think I had this last time I was here. I did. Raising Spirit-Led Kids. Um, I was children's pastor at Bethel for 10 years and have been in children's ministry for 20 years now. Uh, not I was in church for 16 years and now more in the home and more in the families because God told me, he said, you know, if what happens in church doesn't happen in home, it's not Christianity. <clears throat> if what happens in the church doesn't leave the church, it's not the church. It's religion. It's something we do, not someone we are. Yeah, you hear? Okay. So I decided to take everything and aim towards families and parents because I saw a lot of a lot of like kids having powerful stuff happen in the church, but then the parents couldn't sustain it or the parents didn't know what to do with it. And either the kid became the leader of the home or the parents squashed what God was trying to do. You know, it's like, man, that kid better lead the whole family. Or else the family is going to squash this thing. So we started aiming a lot of focus at parents. And so this is raising spirit-led children, guiding kids to walk naturally in the supernatural. Then me and my wife wrote this one, win-win parenting, happy parents raising thriving children. So that one is very much like not so much supernatural stuff in there, more practical day-to-day type stuff, discipline, vision, money having hard conversations, all of that. 
And then when the pandemic hit, I wrote this book real fast. It was already in process, but I said, we need to finish this because everyone's freaking out right now. So this one is called Curing Worry God's Way. And ever since I wrote this, I became aware of this thing. I'm just going to take a quick rabbit trail called spiritual bypassing. It's where people come to the church or their leaders with a problem and the, and the, the leader says, well, you know, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the truth is. And, and there's a lot of people who have used that in an unhealthy way. And so there's people who've come to the church and said, hey, I need help. And the church just throws out scripture and it's like they bypass the problem. They don't really help them. And so there is a very real thing called spiritual bypassing. But how many of you know anything good can become perverted and unhealthy? And so while there are times where people come to leaders and go, help, I have a problem. And the leader just bypasses their problem altogether and just throws scriptures at them. There's also times where, where if you're not careful, you come to the leader and they give you a scripture and they actually care about you. They actually love you. They actually have something that can help you. And they give you a scripture. And, and if you don't, if you think they're trying to spiritually bypass your problem, you could be guilty of, of truth bypassing. Like sometimes a pastor can go, well, here's what the word says. And if you go, oh, well, you're just ignoring my problem. You're just bypassing my problem. You're not actually really trying to help me. And you just dismiss the word. You just bypass the truth. Sorry. I'm passionate about this because I've had, I've been in ministry for 20 years and I, I've seen a lot of people do some really weird stuff and I've seen a lot of people take the most beautiful, pure things and pervert them and make them horrible. And while it's true that you could go to a leader and they could totally bypass your issue, it's also true that you could bypass the truth by not listening to what they have to say. And so sometimes, you know, in a book like this, it's like, hey, here's a lot of verses on worry. <laughs> here's how dangerous worry is. Here's God's solution to it. Here's what God says about it. Here's what you can do about it. There's people that could dismiss this. I'm not trying to defend my own stuff. But, like, at the same time, like, there's people who could go, you're not. No, you're probably just trying to live the rest of your life in self-pity. This is not in the message, but now it is. You're, you're avoiding the truth. You're bypassing the truth. You're bypassing what God says about this. And he knows how to live in peace when everything, everybody else is in worry. He knows how to live mentally stable when everybody else has lost it. It'd be wise to listen to him. Sometimes. You know what I mean? This totally wasn't supposed to be the sermon, but... You know, the Bible says, the Bible says, he gives grace to the humble and opposes, resists the proud. So God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. And then he says, humble yourselves, therefore. Why? Because he wants to give grace to us. Not resist us. He's like, hey, if you're proud, I will resist you. So humble yourself so I can give you grace. This is what God says in the Bible. 1 Peter 5, 7, and 8. 6, 7, 8. He resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves. How? Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Cast all my cares on him. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Just give it to God. Yes. Why? 
Because if you carry it like you're God, that's pride. And he'll resist you because you're playing him. So don't play God. That's all he's saying. Stop trying to do my job. You're trying to do my job. And I have to oppose you. Because the last time somebody tried to do my job, I kicked him out. You try to take my job? Sorry, you can't have my position. This is the Lord saying, like, don't do that. Don't do that. Cast your cares on me. Why? Because I care for you. Here's another thing that means. If we're walking around full of worry and anxiety and cares, if we're overloaded with cares, we simply don't know how much he cares for us. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. We're supposed to live carefree because we know we're cared for. And if we're not carefree, we forgot we're cared for. Hello. Should we go home now? Are you guys here? I haven't even started my sermon. You know, some people, some, some prophets would say worry is a sin. I'm like, oh gosh. So that's out there. You should get that. That was my commercial. That was a good commercial. Here, Bebo. Can you walk? Are you too tired to walk? Will you find someone and give that to them? Someone that looks super like stressed out and worried. <laughs> full of anxiety and then I have these little sermons out there this one is called parenting like God um, because parenting like God is really important because most um, inner healing inner healing 101 is basically tell me about your parents and I'll tell you what's wrong with you (laughs) are you with me this is counseling period 101 Tell me about your home life when you were a child. Okay, now let's work on that. So parenting like God really matters because usually people put their parents' faces over God. And it takes a lot of time to take your parents' face off of God. And see him as he actually is, not as your parents were. Did anybody have a new kid, new child? I hear one screaming back there. They probably should give this to them. You guys haven't, Bebo, will you take this right back there? See, I got you to stand up. Now everybody gets to see you. <clears throat> right over here. Will you raise your hand in the hat, B? All right. So I have a message. I've never preached this. I'm going to see where we go, and hopefully we finish on time because I got a lot of verses. Um, and we're in such a weird season in the world right now. I don't know if you know this, but the world is hectic. So hectic. And we're all at different levels. Probably in this room, we're at different levels of how many conspiracy theories we're aware of. Because there's a lot. And there's streams. I'm learning. There are streams of conspiracy theories like there's streams of Christianity. Like, you know, there's, like the, there's all these streams in Christianity. There's the same thing in conspiracy theories. Like, there are some people that are so far down the rabbit hole, I don't know where they went, but they're down there. So keep that in mind as we talk about this. But I just want to show you a couple things. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. We're going to look at this one together. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God or God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. Oh, sorry. The next part says, 
so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the Bible's important. The Bible's more important. Reading the good news is more important than watching the bad news. Why? Because some of you, some of us, not just you, some of us need rebuked and corrected and taught and trained in righteousness. So the word's really important. This is Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet. You can put that one up too. Sorry, we're going to go through verses. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What does that mean? <clears throat> a, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you're in the word, you're supposed to not be stumbling around. Because you can see. Maybe you can only see one step in front of you. Maybe it's a lamp to your feet. And you can only see one step in front of you. You know what I mean? Maybe you're like, you can only see this far. But if you can only see this far, you can still step over the obstacles. You can still step through. Look, the people that know the word are going to walk through whatever comes because they can see it. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to step over the stuff that's coming. I want to see it. I want to navigate it. I want to get through it. I want to have a light to my path. I want to have a light that shines on my path so I can see what's coming. Look, if you know the word, you're not going to be blinded by all the stuff that's happening and, and coming, and you're going to know how to navigate it. All of the stuff that's happening right now has happened before. We're going to go through a story, a huge story, but all of this stuff that's happening has happened before, and we can learn how to navigate it here. Because we put the lamp on our feet and the light to our path. Are you guys here? Okay. I don't know about you. I want to see what's coming and not stumble. This is Romans 10, 17. I added this verse during worship. Here's what Romans 10, 17 says. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you know in Greek it's actually not the word God there? Now, let me just clarify. Everyone thinks faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We all, we all read it. It's in my Bible. Mine says God. But in Greek, it's not God. It's Christos, Christ. What does that mean? It means faith doesn't come just from reading the Bible. Faith comes from finding Christ in the Bible. Think about this. You read the story of Israel in Egypt and, and Moses, you read that. They were slaves for 430 years. You read this story, right? If you can't find Christ in the story, you do not have faith come to you. You have fear come to you. Think about it. Who, where's Christ in the story? Well, it's the blood of the lamb. They put the blood over the doorpost and then they ate the lamb. They had righteousness. Somebody else's righteousness cover their home. And then they filled themselves with his righteousness. With that lamb's righteousness. It covered them, it was over them, and it was in them. They were not just seen as righteous, they became righteous. And they walked out of there with all the gold. Man, that's faith. If you don't find Christ in that story, if you think you're an Egyptian, not an Israelite, you will not be filled with faith, you will be filled with fear. So faith comes from, from the word of Christ. Finding Christ in the stories. Hello, you here still? Come on. You guys are really quiet. 
We need to find Christ in these stories because <clears throat> we want faith to come to us. One thing we need to keep in mind in all of this as well is that we are we're intercessors. Our job is to be intercessors in the world, all of us. Like all of us are here to evangelize, we're also here to intercede. So whoever you are, whatever you do, part of your job on earth is to be an intercessor. Now, I'm, me and my friend are going to have a conversation. He's doing all this prayer stuff in California, but we're having this whole conversation on intercession. But when he and I were talking, we talked about this thing called metrons, which is your sphere of influence. It's your God-given sphere of influence. Okay, so you, you as a believer have a certain sphere that you can influence, you can work in. That's called your metron. That's your area where you have authority, where you have power in. So you have your metron. Here's the problem for some people. The news tries to, make, tries to tell you about everything. And it may not be in your metron to know about everything. If God gives you authority over your neighborhood and then you go watch the news... All of a sudden, you're overwhelmed and overloaded because you have all this information of what's happening, but without the authority to do something. You know what I mean? Like, all you got to do is click on, on your phone for a half a second. It's like, well, Afghanistan. <laughs> Lord. Now, you can see it that way. There's a lot of people. You, you have to know what's my Metron and what's not. Because here's the other side of that. So you can watch the news and go, oh my gosh, Afghanistan, oh my gosh, Haiti, oh my gosh, America, oh Lord. And God's like, hey, you only have grace and authority for your town. Stay in your town. Right? So you need to know that. But you also need to know God could be going, hey, I'm trying to show you the news because I'm trying to expand your metron. Right? So look. God could go Afghanistan, Haiti, United States, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, God just expanded. I turned on the news, and God expanded my metron to the whole planet. Now what am I going to do? Pray. Now what's the secret to interceding, to being a real intercessor? Don't keep it. You give it to the Lord, and you actually give it to him. You actually say, here, God. It's just like we were talking about with worry. Don't play God. There's so many people that they click on the news, they get overwhelmed with all the information around the whole planet, and maybe it's not their Metron, and now they're all overwhelmed. It's like, that's because you're out of your zone. You're out of your grace. Or you're like, thanks, God. You just gave me the whole planet. I'm going to pray for the whole planet. But now you actually have to pray and not carry it as if you're God. The reason so many Christians get jacked up is because they're not actually giving it to God. They're playing God. Hello. Your job is to give it to him and then actually not hold it anymore. Yes? And you got to understand. Here's one thing you got to understand about the news. The news intentionally attempts to traumatize you. The news creates micro-traumas inside you in these micro they're like little hits of trauma over and over and over 
and then they repeat the information over and over and over. You have to understand this when you watch the news. You have to understand what's happening. I don't care what side of the news you watch. I don't care what channel you watch. They all do it. They all use fear and trauma, and they give you these little pricks, little tiny traumatic experiences by showing you stuff that's going on. And, And you're like, whoa, like, I mean, only a hundred years ago, this didn't exist. Like, you had to wait till tomorrow to read the paper, and maybe even later. You didn't see everything as it was happening live. So we're getting all these micro-traumas, and then they repeat information. You know what that is? That's designed to bypass your intellect and go right into your subconscious. It's designed to create filters inside of you because it goes right past your... Why? Because it's intense emotion... And repeated information. Whatever information comes in during intense emotion goes through your intellect and into your subconscious. It becomes a filter is what it is. So here's what the news is trying to do. The news is trying to give you micro traumas, use fear to get you into intense emotion. It may not feel intense because it's micro hits. Boom, 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 boom. And then they repeat this information so it goes right past here into here. And now you may forget what they said, but now it's how you see. It's how you hear. It's a filter now. So now if you watch this side of the news, your filter tells you that side is evil, that side is bad, be afraid of them, safe with us. But if you watch this side, <laughs> afraid of them, safe with us. Why? Because now they've, the news has affected how you hear and see. Because they went right, they traumatized you and repeated information to get you to feel safe here and afraid there. And now we cause all this division and all this separation and everyone's in chaos. Why? Because the news knew how to manipulate you. But you got to know how to go, okay, all right, all right, take it, take it, take it. Here, I trust you. Tell me what you're saying now. So I can say what you're saying. So I can help do something about this. Come on, when you watch the news, you're supposed to watch God at the same time. You know what I'm saying? When you watch the news, you're supposed to be watching him. Tell me what you're saying. I'm gonna, God, I'm going to give you that. And I'm going to give that you. Tell me what you're saying. Because I hear what they're saying. So I'm going to tell you what they're saying, God. And then I'm going to tell them what you're saying. Are you with me? This is how to not get too jacked up. Because a lot of people are jacked up. And I'm not trying to say I'm perfect at this. Definitely not. All right. Mark 8.15. Okay, we're just going to go. We have a lot of verses to talk about. Mark 8.15. This is Jesus talking. Then he charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, Bill Johnson talks about this verse. He says, also Jesus talked about the kingdom of God is like leaven. So leaven is like yeast. So when it gets into the loaf, it eventually takes over everything. Are you, are you with me? So the kingdom is leaven. When the kingdom gets in you, eventually it affects everything about you. But the Pharisees... And Herod also are like leaven. So he's not talking just about Pharisees and Herod. He's talking about religion and the political spirit. The religious spirit and the political spirit are both like leaven. And he says, beware. Beware. Watch out. Hello. I know I'm loud. 
beware. The political spirit is trying to take over everything. The religious spirit is trying to take over everything. Don't let it in. Don't let a hint of leaven get in you or it will expand into everything. Are you with me? This verse is really important right now. Beware. Come on. This is good. We're going to go to Judges chapter 11. There's a couple stories I want to look at. We're looking at three stories. Judges chapter 11 is crazy. <clears throat> There's a lot to it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the whole thing. So here's basically the story. It's a man named Jephthah. <clears throat> so here's, here it is. I'm going to try to, yeah, I'll just read some. Okay, so now Je this verse 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. He was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. So Gilead's his dad. He sleeps with a prostitute, and he has Jephthah. Okay? So you got a boy born of a prostitute. Gilead's wife bore sons. So he's got brothers from his dad's wife, but he's not their full brother. He's their half-brother because they have the same dad, but none of them were born of a prostitute. He was. Are you with me? Yep. So, <clears throat> and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house for you are the son of another woman. So this kid is growing up and his brothers all kick him out, throw him out. They hate him because he doesn't have the same mom. Ouch, ouch, not good, right? So then a little bit of time goes by. An enemy comes, um, the Ammonites come and they're gonna wage war. They're gonna have a battle. And now all his brothers come back to Jephthah and they're like, hey, bro, we know we kicked you out. They didn't say this because he's like, you kicked me out. Now you want me back? They're like, hey, these guys are coming. We're going to be in a battle. We want you to come and lead us, and we will let you be the leader. And he's like, are you sure? You kicked me out of the house. Like, you didn't want me. Now you want me back? Now you want me to lead you? And he's like, are you really going to let me lead? And they're like, yes, if you win, you will lead us. So he's like, all right, let me pray. And he prays to God, God, let me win. I want to win this battle. I mean, there's more to the story. Actually, the battle, if you read it, this is so crazy to me. If you read it, the enemy has come to fight because they have a different history than he has. So they're like, we're going to fight you because you guys, when you came out of Israel, Israelites, when you came out of Egypt, here's what you did to our land. And he's like, uh, that's not actual history. That's a false history. You're making, so you were told a different history than what actually happened. And he's like, no, 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 here's what actually happened. We came out of Egypt. We asked these people to let us pass through, and they wouldn't. And we asked these people to let us pass through, and they wouldn't let us. And we asked you guys to let us pass through. So he's like explaining, like, uh, you're trying to fight us? You're trying to start a war based off a of history that didn't actually happen? And he's like, here's what actually happened. And they're like, we don't care. We're going to fight. So he goes to fight him, and he's like, Lord, if you let me win, if we win this battle, why? Because he wants to now be in charge of his brothers. He wants to lead his brothers. He wants to be the boss of his brothers. And if he wins, he gets to oversee and be leader of his brothers. Are you with me? 
So he's like, Lord, let me win. If you win, I promise, whatever comes out of my door when I return home, I will sacrifice to you. This is stupid. This is a stupid promise to God. Like, what's going to come out? A goat out of your front door? Yay, I get to kill the goat and sacrifice it to God. No, no. He's saying, God, if you give me victory, I will give you whatever comes out of my door to greet me. You know what comes out of his door? His daughter. And he has to sacrifice his daughter. Well, he probably could have asked God. He probably could have said, God, that was dumb. Can I please have offer you 100 goats instead of my kid? But what's the point? In order to have success, he sacrifices his child. He makes a decision for himself that destroys his child. Why did he make that decision? Why did he pray that prayer? Like You always have to go back and look like, what caused him to be so intense like this? Like, I will sacrifice anything for victory. I will sacrifice anything for success. I don't even care if it's my kid. I will sacrifice my children for victory. Why? Because he was hurt by his brothers and he didn't get healed. Family wounds, family pain caused him to sabotage his own family. He was hurt as a boy from his siblings, from his dad, from his mom probably because, well, his mom wasn't probably in the picture. She's a prostitute. And dad doesn't keep him in the house when the brothers kick him out. So he's got father wounds. He's got brother wounds. And now he's making these decisions that ruin his family. Wow, you got a great position. Wow, you're now leader over your brothers. Way to go. What it costs you. Your family. Please, I've been in this game a long time. I know I don't look that old. I've literally been in full-time ministry 20 years. I've, been, I've seen this. I've got to, the privilege of traveling the world and meeting lots of pastors. I see way too many pastors that will sabotage their family for success in ministry. We've seen it over and over. Like at Bethel Church, they taught us right out the gate. Look, a lot of ministers have offered their children on, this, on the altar of, of ministry success. Don't do it. <laughs> Honor them for what God put on their life, but learn from their mistakes. Don't destroy your family for some success. Are you, are you tracking with me? That's what this guy did. It's dumb. Dumb. Okay, now let's look at somebody else. This is in 2 Kings 2 and Isaiah 39. I'm going to go to the Isaiah 39. They're both pretty much the exact same story. You guys good? Point one. Don't. Point one. Families. What happens in families is really important. Because Jephthah made decisions as an adult through the lens of what happened to him as a child. He wasn't healed. I'll just tell you that. He wasn't healed. What did he say? He was jacked up. Isaiah 39. Oh, man, this is crazy. Verse 1, sorry. We can do verse 1, yeah. At that time, Merodach... Baladan, Baladan, son of ba- Baladan, I don't know how to pronounce that properly, 
king of Babylon. Now, Babylon's an important city in the Bible. Babylon in Hebrew actually means confusion by mixture. So king of confusion. This is what it means. The king of confusion sent letters to Hezekiah and a present. Sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah for he heard that he'd been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Okay, so this is dumb. You got the enemy. You have Babylon, confusion, the enemy showing up. And he's like, you know what? Let me just show you everything we have. Here's all my gold. Here's all my silver. Here's all my spices. Oh, by the way, and here's all our weapons. Kind of dumb to show the enemy what you have. I'm just going to tell you, nothing that's happening right now is new. So Isaiah comes. Isaiah comes. He goes, here's what Isaiah says. What, this is verse 4. What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answers, they have seen all that's in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. And Isaiah says, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. In other words, don't show the enemy what you have or they're going to take it. You don't want the enemy to have all your weapons or your gold or your silver or your spices. So don't show the enemy what you have, right? Here's what he says. The days are coming when all that's in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs. You know what eunuchs means? You no longer get to reproduce your family line. There will no longer be people carrying your name because your sons are going to get eunuched. That's not nice. The Bible is not always nice. What's he saying? You're going to lose everything because you showed them what you have. You're going to lose it all and you're even going to lose your family line. Your, your name, your bloodline will not continue. That's not good. Right? Here's what it says next. Verse 8. Here's Hezekiah's answer to Isaiah. The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. What's, what's he doing? He's, making, he's, he's happy. Well, at least I'll be okay. I don't care what happens to my kids and my grandkids. I'm not making decisions for my children and my grandchildren. I'm making decisions for me. I want favor with the enemy, so I'm going to show them everything. I don't care what it costs my kids. It's not going to cost me. Stupid. Look, it is always stupid. This is where he, like he, this is a king. This is where he stopped acting like one. Because he's not thinking future generations. He's thinking, well, I'll be fine. As long as I'm okay, it's good. I don't care what happens to my kids and grandkids. I don't care that my family line will discontinue. I'll be fine. 
Can I just tell you, there's way too many people right now sacrificing their children on the altar of success, whether it's ministry, whether it's business, whatever it is. There's way too many people offering their children to get success. Why? Parent wounds, family wounds, family pain, family trauma, family issues, right? What's happening here? This guy making decisions that benefit him, not his children. He's making decisions, not thinking about them. There's way too many people out there that are doing this. They're only thinking about today, not tomorrow. Hello? Look, don't make decisions based on today only. What's good for today? What works for today? You know what's, you know what's beautiful about the believer is we can actually, like, actually humans, you can look down the road and go, what will this cause? If I make this decision, what will it cause? And do I want that? And we make decisions going, how will this affect my kids when they're growing up? What kind of a place will I leave them if I make this decision right now? What kind of a world will I leave my grandchildren if I make this decision right now? Is that the kind of world I want to leave them? If not... Don't make this decision. Man, come on. That's good. I'm just preaching this. Why? Because I care about families. I want healthy families. Like, if you really want to have a healthy family, don't make decisions that sabotage them. All right. Now we're going to go. Me and my sons had this conversation on the way to gymnastics. Yes, yesterday and then I just decided to make notes and and turn it into a sermon for you guys so I taught this to my children but somehow we went through the whole story of Israel in Egypt and we we talked about how Israel was was slaves in Egypt 430 years right so you know the story Moses shows up what's crazy to me is when Moses showed up Pharaoh was controlling the population of Israel. So here's what happened. And I, we're, we're probably not going to go into all the verses. But if you want to look them up, this is Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Basically, Pharaoh is like, well, you know what? They've been slaves for a really, really, or they've been in our country for a really long time. This is what made Pharaoh decide to turn Israel into slaves. They'd been living in the country for a really long time. They showed up, they're growing, they're multiplying, there's so many Israelites, he gets afraid that they're going to take over. So, sorry, it's verse, it's, is it 115? Yeah, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name was Shipra and Pua, and he said to them, when you do your duties, all right, we'll read it. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstools, if it's a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. You know what he's doing? He is afraid. In verse 8, it says, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph That's the chapter you're reading right now in your book? Come on, my girl. Oh, yeah, because the midwives were the heroes. My girl's reading a book called Sheroes, and the midwives are the heroes because they didn't kill the boys. 
right? What a hero. Don't kill the boys. But if you, if you read verse 8, it says, The new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. So here you go. Who's Pharaoh represent? Political spirit. The political spirit gets really insecure about the people living in his land that if they get too many, they're going to go, whoa, we actually are going to fight against you or we're just going to leave. So he goes, let's control them even more. This is the political spirit. They're going to get too powerful. They're going to fight against us. They're going to leave. Control them more. Make them slaves, right? So this is how they became slaves. And then... Not only did he make them slaves, he said we have to stop them from reproducing because then they're really going to be more, more mightier than us. Then they're really going to have, so kill all the boys. We want to stop all the boys. So now you got slavery and population control because the political spirit is insecure of losing its place, of losing control. The political spirit is afraid of losing control, so it clamps down tighter. And the tighter it clamps, the more Israel grows. The more God's people succeed, the more God's people grow, and the more afraid the political spirit becomes. I'm just telling you right now, there's a lot of stuff happening in the world. It's because the political spirit is very insecure, and it's very afraid of freedom. Let me just tell you, I have to say this. Freedom is not a Texas idea, and it is not an America idea. Freedom is a God idea. Freedom came from God. Freedom is important. There are a lot of people, please hear me. There are a lot of people who are not protecting freedom right now. I'm not trying to get political. I am not trying to get political. However, if we don't address this stuff, you might accidentally allow the leaven of the political spirit to influence you and not realize it. You have to be aware of some of this stuff. There are people not protecting the freedom that we've been given because they think it's American or they think it's Texan or they think it's Florida or they think whatever they think. God's the one that said... For freedom, Christ has set you free. God's the one that said, hey, there's a tree that will kill you. Don't eat from it. However, you're free to do that if you'd like. Here's the snake. There's the tree. Don't do it. If God was interested in control, God's not a politician. He's not trying to control. He's not a politician. He's a king. He's a good king. He's a good Lord. So he'll say, hey, don't do that. But if you want, you can. There will be consequences. But you are free to make a stupid decision if you would like. Are you with me? You're totally free. God doesn't want control. God is not in control. God is in charge. He will not control you. He will not force you. He, he, he wants freedom. He wants freedom so bad he'll leave the snake there to slither up and talk to you. He wants freedom so bad, he'll plant the tree right there for you to look at. And then tell you, hey, don't eat that. That's how much he wants freedom. Freedom is God's idea. There are people not protecting freedom because they don't realize it's a God idea. There are people who are not protecting freedom because they've never been to a country that's not free. I'm just going to tell you, I've I've been to quite a few communist countries in the world that have zero freedom. I've been to them. I've been there. You don't want this one to become like that one.
I really didn't want to say all that, but we need to say some of it. Because freedom's God's idea. The ability for people to make dumb decisions is God's idea. The ability for people to follow God freely out of their own choice and not be controlled is God's idea. Control is the devil's tactic. Control is the political spirit, not the spirit of the Lord. The Lord will go, I'll tell you what to do if you want me to, but I won't force you to do it. And the political spirit is like, I'll tell you what to do, and it may not be good for you, and I'm going to make you do it. The political spirit gets very insecure when people start getting big and powerful and free, and then he starts controlling the population, and then he starts making people slaves. And the more he locks down, the more that political spirit locks down, the bigger they become. Remember, they came out of slavery 430 years later. They came out. Moses showed up. Moses got them out. Right? But we're going to go through this whole story. How did they get there? How did they become slaves? Well, first they showed up as refugees. Did you know that? You know, Israel came as a refugee to Egypt. Israel wasn't a nation at first. Israel was a family. Israel was a dad. Israel was a dad with some kids. And he needed some help because there was no food. So he came to Egypt. Well, he sent his sons to Egypt to go find food. And they found food. They got, they got government assistance from Egypt. They got land given to them. They got help. And they moved in to Egypt. And they started to prosper, and they were blessed, and they were growing. And then the political spirit that used to help them now enslaved them. You know, the Jews actually think, so we look at the story of, we're going to go right to Joseph. We're going to start in Moses and go back to Joseph, because we're going to figure out how this all happened. And I hope you're okay with this. <clears throat> we look at Joseph as a hero, and he is in, in a lot of ways. Joseph is a hero. But the Jews look at Joseph as a warning about the power of government. So we're going to look at it like a, like a Jew would for a minute, for a few minutes. Sorry. Hopefully not too many minutes. So they show up as refugees because they have no food. Joseph, the brother, helps them. Remember the whole story? Like they all show up and Joseph's there and they don't know it's him. But now he's running the country. And he's like, brother. He finally exposes himself. He tells him, bring your dad. His whole family comes. He tells Pharaoh. And they provide a place, some of the best of Egypt. They say, here, come live over here. We'll take care of you. We'll help you. And they bring in these refugees, this family of refugees. And it turns into an entire nation. And then it turns into slavery. And then it turns into population control. Yes? Okay, so Joseph... Helps them. Here's what's crazy. How did Joseph help them? Joseph helped them because Joseph's in prison. Remember this? Joseph's in prison and he interprets the dreams of the two guys that Pharaoh has thrown in prison. One of them dies and one of them gets reinstated back into his place. And he's like, just remember me. Tell Pharaoh I'm down here. Tell Pharaoh to get me out. Like, come on, please. Because he got set up by, by Potiphar's wife. Tries to mess with him. He escapes. 
She, she lies about him. He gets thrown in prison. He's sitting in prison for so long. He, he interprets these dreams like, just remind the Pharaoh I'm down here. Tell the Pharaoh I'm here. Two years goes by, and then the guy remembers. <gasps> Why? Because Pharaoh has this dream. Pharaoh has this dream that he can't figure out what it means. You remember the seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows, and he has no idea what it means. There's two dreams in one. And the guy goes, oh, there's a guy in prison who can interpret your dream. He listens to God. So they go get Joseph. Joseph comes out of prison. They clean him all up. He goes there. He meets Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream. He goes, oh, these two dreams are one. Here's what they mean. Seven years of famine. I mean, seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the crazy part. That's the accurate interpretation. But now he's got to apply it, what he knows. You're going to have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Now he has to apply it and he says, Pharaoh, government, stock up. Store everything you can in the seven years of plenty so when the seven years of famine come, you have plenty. Here's a question. Why did he tell the government to stock up and not the people? Why didn't they tell the people, hey guys, you know, hey country, hey nation, Seven years are, are going to be really good, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. So store up everything. Keep your seeds, keep your plants, can, ferment, put all your cucumbers into pickles. Store those things. They didn't tell any of the people. He only told the government. And then the Pharaoh goes, oh, by the way, Joseph, here, you come lead this whole thing. Are you with me? So now what's Joseph doing? Now Joseph is stocking the government's supply. Please, sometimes we don't look at the Bible like this. So the government is just loading up, and Joseph's in charge. Joseph's running the show. Joseph is filling entire whatever they had for containers. I don't know. Stocking seeds, stocking food, stocking it. And then famine hits. And the only people that knew it was coming was the, was the government. Because the man of God interpreted to the government that they should stock up, not tell the people to stock up. Now, please, I'm not going mall prepper on you. I'm not trying to go prepper. I'm not trying to get in, we're not trying to get in fear. But fear always tries to masquerade as wisdom. But how many of you know wisdom can also, some people can dismiss wisdom, can call it fear. All I'm saying, I'm not trying to say you need to prep or anything like that. I'm not saying... I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you what's about to happen. I'm trying to tell you what happened in the Bible. You can interpret it and apply it however you want. But the government's the only one that had the stock. Are you with me? And that's when his family shows up. Because they ran out of food. And they show up. And guess who has plenty? The government. Come on in. We'll help you. We got you. We'll take care of you. Come on in. And turns into population control and slavery. Well, that's not good. <clears throat> We're going to go to Genesis 47. You have to read this. This is crazy. Genesis 47. We're going to read 13 to 27. This is so wild. So Joseph is dealing with the famine. The famine is in full effect. Ready? Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they had brought 
had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed, now watch this. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your life. All right, so here's what happened. Sorry. Yeah. First, they come to him and they're like, we have no food. He's like, give me your money and I'll give you food. This is Joseph, God's man. Give me your money, I'll give you food. So he gives them money. Or they give him money. And he gives Pharaoh all the money. Like, hey, Pharaoh, look. Hey, government, look. Here, here you go. Here's all your money. And he gives them food. Then, now they have no money. So now they come back and they're like, hey, the money's failed. He's like, all right, give me your livestock. Give me your livestock, I'll give you bread for your livestock, I'll trade you, because the money's gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. So, okay, so what just happened? First, now the government has all the food and all the money. Now the government has all the money. And he gives out a little bit of food. Here you go, here you go. Look, I've been to countries where they ration food out. And when you're out of coffee at day 12, you don't get more coffee. Because the government's in charge of how much food you get. This is what's happening here. Give us all your money, we will give you food. It lasts a year. Now they're out of money. And they're out of food. And they're starving. Government, help! And they go, okay... Okay, here. And the government, Joseph, God's man, says, all right, give me all your livestock. So now, now the government has all the money and all the livestock, and they give another year's supply of food. Now they eat all the food. Hey, jo now they come back. Joseph, okay, we have no food. We have no livestock. We have no money. Verse 18, they came to him that year and said, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed. Now they're willing to change, exchange themselves. Now they're giving themselves to Pharaoh. Are you with me? Look, how do people get to weird spots? How do people get to population control and slavery? It starts here. Please, I don't, I'm just, all I'm trying to do is give you some information you need to know. All right. And I'm not, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to do with this. I have no idea what you're going to do with this. But you need to see it in the Bible. You need to see it. Here. Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. Okay, so now Pharaoh has all the money, all the livestock, and now he has all the land. Dang. Now the government has all the land, the livestock, the money. And here's what he says. But Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had rations. This is good news. The priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. So the only people that had their own land was the priests. But then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you 
and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own. So 20% taxes on everything you grow. So now the government owns your land, and you have to work it with the seed that the government provided. And you get to keep four-fifths of whatever you grow, but you have to give us one-fifth, 20%. Are you with me? Now you don't own your land, and you have to give 20% of everything you grow. And you have no money, and you have no livestock. All you have is what we provide. Now all we provide to you is seed. Now you have to work for your food. Now you can't just go buy your food or trade for your food. Now you have to actually grow your food, but it's not your food because it's not your land. You get to eat for, you get to eat 80%, but you have to give us 20 Do you see how this works? Look, we started at slavery and population control. And now we're all the way down and things are going bad and people are exchanging everything for their freedom. They're trading everything. They're giving away everything. They're willing to do whatever. Why? Because they're hungry. Okay, so we're going to go back a little bit of ways. How'd they get there? Ten chapters before, Genesis 37. Because I ask myself, I read this stuff, I read this and I'm like, God, why in the world would Joseph do that? Why would he create, why would he make an entire region dependent on one government? Why would he make everyone government dependent? Please, please let me, let me just make something clear. There's only one government we're supposed to be dependent on. Assisted by the government is not the same as dependent upon. I have a lot of friends that have got a lot of help from the government, and I'm so grateful for welfare and food stamps. I am so thankful. I am so, so thankful. There are a lot of people that need help, and they get it. And then there's a lot of people that, you know what happens if you become dependent on a government that's not God's? You just switched governments. You just switched lords. You just switched leaders. You just exchanged the Lord for a different government. Getting assistance is not the same as becoming fully dependent upon. Well, here's what's happening here. He created government dependence for everyone. Dang, Joseph. Wow. Man of God. Man of God. You just made every single person in the region completely dependent on the government. And what did it turn into? Population control and slavery. Went from refugees to slaves. Look, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen. I know God's going to win. But I know we better, we better be aware of some of this stuff. We better pay attention to some of this stuff. Because if you don't know history or you have a false history, it has a tendency to repeat itself. I don't know if you know this, but this stuff has happened over and over and over and over. We'd be wise to break the cycle. I'm going to tell you how in just a minute, I promise. We would be wise to break some of the cycles that we've been in. We'd be wise to pay attention. Like, it might not be such a good idea to let people become dependent on the government. Can I just throw this out there? You know there's people offering $1,000 to apply for a job. If you apply, if you fill out a piece of paper, they will give you $1,000. You don't even have to get the job. Why? They're trying to find people who will work, but people won't work. Why? Because somebody's handing them money. And I'm not trying to take a side. I'm not really trying to take a side because I think both sides are, are quite corrupt. 
and messed up and not good. I think there's a lot of not good. That's why we better be dependent on this government, not, not any of this. However, I'm saying, when the government starts passing out free stuff and people become dependent upon them and they stop working and they don't have money anymore that comes from what they produce, it's not a good, it's, it doesn't produce good things in the long run. There are actual businesses handing out a thousand bucks to apply, whether you get the job or not. They're trying to find people who work, who will just go to work. We just saw a restaurant in San Antonio last night, or I think it was a restaurant. Lauren's like, yeah, I just saw this one. They're totally closing for three days because they don't have enough staff. They can't, they can't find people to work. Why? Because people are becoming increasingly more and more dependent on the government. You may not want to do that. Can I just tell you, like, I don't know who's sitting in this room. I don't know who's watching on YouTube or whatever. I don't know. You don't want to become dependent on the government if you don't have to. If you need assistance, don't become dependent. Get assistance. It's good. It's, it's pure. It's holy. But that thing can also be very perverted. Can I just tell you, I've worked with many, many, many foster moms. Many. I used to work in New York City in the ghetto. You know how many homes I went in where it's one foster mom in a two-bedroom apartment with seven foster kids and one of her own. Seven foster kids in a two-bedroom apartment. I said, why do you have so many foster kids? Because I get paid this much per kid. Like You are bringing in foster kids because it makes you money. Oh, a good system just got perverted by a bad user. You're making decisions for your immediate benefit. Well, I get 500 bucks a month, 600 bucks a month each kid. So I have seven kids. So I'm raking in thousands of dollars for me. What about the kids? You're making decisions for you, not the kids. You're making decisions for the present, not the future. So these systems, these, some of this, these government programs are amazing. And they can be very perverted. Please, let me just tell you, if you're receiving money, if you're sitting here receiving money and you don't want to work because you're getting so much money, it would be better for you to go work. You do not want any Lord other than Jesus is all I'm saying. You want one king, one Lord, one. You do not want the political spirit in your life. And the political spirit is trying to make people dependent upon them. The political spirit will take an accurate prophetic revelation, prophetic interpretation, and apply it in an unhealthy way. In an unhealthy way that makes people dependent and then eventually leads to other stuff. Sheesh. Okay, I'm going to try to keep going. Why did this happen? You know, Joseph has these dreams as a kid. And he's like, hey, brothers, I had these dreams. And the brothers are like, rah. And the dad actually rebukes his son and then his sons immediately start working in human trafficking not immediately it takes a little bit but they go from here's you have the boy who goes guys i had this dream hey guy he's this innocent guy he has a dream from god he's like i had a dream oh and he just blasts his dream to his family and his family's like all right his dad rebukes him. You think me and your mom are going to bow down to you? Rebukes him. He holds it in his heart. He keeps it in his heart. He treasures it inside. But outside, what he tells his son hurts his son. He rebukes his son for a dream that God gave him. Yes? Okay. 
Then his brothers start scheming. And then his brothers start operating in human trafficking. So you got population control, human slavery, slavery, and now you have human trafficking all built in. This is 3,500 years ago, if not more. This is a long time ago. This is not new. Human trafficking is not new. They trafficked Joseph. They threw him in a pit. They faked he was dead. They sold him to these merchants going along who ended up selling him to Egypt. You know, the government was involved in human trafficking back then. I don't know if they are now. They were then. Potiphar bought Joseph, bought a human. A family sold a human who then got sold to a government. What, what does that mean? What happened with Joseph? Family pain. Father wounds, brother wounds that don't fully get healed. And now Pharaoh steps in as a father figure in his life and he starts making decisions that benefit the father figure at the expense of his actual father and his bloodline and his family. And now his family becomes slaves. His family gets population control because he made a decision for a father figure because he wasn't healed from his father wounds. All of that to say, I think God is doing something. And I think God is like, here, I don't want to just present a bunch of scary bad stuff. I want to actually present a solution. Like Malachi 4.6, you know this verse. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So what is God's solution? What is God doing? He's trying to raise healthy families. He's trying to turn hearts of fathers to kids and mothers. Hearts of fathers and mothers to their kids and kids to their parents. He's trying to put family, make healthy families. Why? Healthy families will save the world. Healthy families will protect the world. Can I just tell you, Joseph made bad decisions because he had an unhealthy family. Jephthah made bad decisions because he had an unhealthy family family. Hezekiah made bad decisions and he created a very unhealthy family. Mother Teresa said, you want to change the world? Go home and love your family. She was on to something. Can I just tell you, Every time you tuck your kid in bed and you pray for them and you teach them to pray for whatever's going on in the world and you teach them to, to, to shine their light in school and just, just radiate the kingdom of God. Every time you do that with your kids, every time you love your kids, every time you're, you're kind to your kids and you're patient to your kids, every time you make a mistake with your kids and you apologize and you ask them to forgive you because you wounded them, because you made a mistake like every dad does, every time you actually clean that up and bring restoration as a child, you set up the future for something good, not something bad. Because every time a child grows up and the, the, the family is not in a good place, they start making decisions that affect all of the planet. But what happens when we raise healthy kids? When we raise healthy grandchildren? What happens when we turn our hearts, when we let God turn our hearts towards our families? When we raise healthy families, our kids will make decisions that will bless the world, not jack it up. You have an important job. Some of you don't realize. Some of you parents don't realize how important your job is. 
Because your kids are going to grow up and be Joseph's at some point. Your kids are going to grow up and be a Moses at some point. Your kids are going to grow up and be a Hezekiah at some point or a Jephthah. Your kids are going to grow up. And if you raise a healthy family, let me just tell you, it'll affect the planet. I don't know how we're going to fully land this because that was a lot. There's three points, I guess. There's three points. Don't make decisions that benefit you today, but ruin your bloodline and your family and your lineage and your descendants. Don't make decisions that bless you and sabotage your kids. Don't offer your kids on the, on the altar of success. Don't do it. Raise healthy families. If you mess up with your kids, clean it up. Do whatever you have to do to clean it up. If you have grown children and you're dis, dis, disconnected from them, you do what you got to do to clean it up. Son, I'm sorry. Daughter, I'm sorry. I've been, I've been stupid. Please, please forgive me. That has the power to change everything. And if you have young kids, raise healthy families. Do whatever you have to do to raise healthy families. Because healthy families are going to save the world. If unhealthy families can ruin the world... What you do in your family can save the world. Why? Because all of that started with the family. All of it was family. Don't ever underestimate fa family. Don't ever underestimate what you're doing with your kids. When you play with your kids. When you read to your kids. When you pray for your kids. When you pray with your kids. Don't ever un underestimate it. They're going to grow up. All right, let's, let's, gosh, let's pray. I'm just going to tell you this right now. This is fun. There's three, there's three, there's a show and two movies out that are trying to communicate this to us. Boss Baby 2, if you haven't seen Boss Baby 2, it will reveal the plan of the enemy and the plan of God to you. In Boss Baby 2, the school is trying to destroy the family, but the family ends up stopping it. The family turns back towards each other, and they stop the destruction the school system is trying to bring. That's in the movie. This is a kid's movie. And it's right there out in the open. They don't even hide it. Mysterious Benedict Society is a show. There's, an, there's a school on an island trying to create mind control for the entire world. And it's kids with a, with a dad, a, a, like a father figure who takes them in. A good father figure takes them in. And the kids destroy the mind control that's trying to take over the entire planet from the school. Okay? And then there's another movie called Mitchell's vs. the Machines, which is basically saying AI is going to try to kill everything, and it's a family that stops AI. And you know what's crazy? Tesla actually just announced yesterday robots that look almost identical to what's in the movie. I'm not trying to say, like, I like, I like Tesla a lot. I really like them. I like Elon Musk. I don't know if AI is the best thing for us. However, in the movie, it's the family that stops the robots from taking over the world. Come on. All these, all these things are basically saying family is going to save the world. Healthy family is going to save the world. Be a healthy family. All right. We're going to pray fast because we're over. I want to pray first for dads. If you're a father, I would like you to stand up quickly. We're just going to pray. Lord, thank you so much that, that, that we get the privilege to be like you, a father. Thank you for making us people who've created humans.
in our own image. Thank you for allowing us to experience your nature at that level, God. Thank you for the privilege of being a father. God, I pray right now for all of us that none of us would sabotage our family for success. That none of us would all offer our children on the altar of success. I pray for all of us that we would make decisions right now that are good for our, our family line. Help us, God. Help us make decisions for the future, not just for the present. Help us. We need your wisdom. We need your clarity. We need your guidance. When everything is trying to come against us, God, we need your strength. We need to be fathers like you. God, we pray right now that we can be fathers like you. Lord, help us make decisions for our families, not just for ourselves. And now, if you're a, anyone else, let's just pray. I want to pray for families. All just Would everybody stand? <clears throat> and I just had this thought. If you have a kid that walked away, if you have a kid that's mad at you, if you have a grown child that's mad at you, walked away, I used to be that child. I hated my mom. I hated my dad. I went all crazy on drugs. I'm snorting $300 of cocaine every day, five pills of ecstasy every day. I went completely off the rails. Why? Because my childhood wounds. I'll just, I'll just be clear as day. I was hurt by my dad. I was hurt by my mom. I was offended at my mom. And I went as far down at, away from them as I possibly could. And somehow God got me back. If you have a kid that's done that, I want you to raise your hand quickly. Just raise your hand. If you have a kid, we got one here. Anyone else? You have a grown child, two, three. They've walked away. They're completely gone from God, completely gone from you. If you're around them, would you please put your hands on them quick? Can we have some people put their hands on her? Bebo, would you come too? Would you pray for these guys? Just put your hands on them. Yeah, let's get some people around them quick. Is there anyone else? You have a kid that is offended, hurt, walked away from you. We're just going to pray. We're not going to make you ashamed. We're just going to, we're going to love you and we're going to pray for them. Okay, everyone's got somebody? Lord, we thank you that no situation is hopeless. Lord, we pray for a spirit of forgiveness to enter these families, these kids, these parents. We let your forgiveness come, God. Let your blood come into these families. Wait a second, hold on, just stay right here. If you're a kid, that you're in the church, but you're away from your parents, raise your hand, and you know it. You may even live in, hey, come on, you gotta be honest right now, okay, here. Let's get some people here. If you're a kid, you, you may even live in their house, but your heart's not there. Right here, let's get people here. Quick, this, this matters. Right here, can you pray for her too? Over here too. You might live in their home. You might even be a teenager, and you live in your parents' home, but you know your heart doesn't live there with you. Can we get people back here? Can someone go back here and pray for him? I know sometimes, like, look, we have to think about this. Like, this matters for 100 years from now. This matters for 10 years, 20 years, 100. This matters for 500 years from now. This actually matters. What happens right here matters. Lord, we pray for forgiveness to come. We pray for these parents, for forgiveness to come to, to them and to their children. That forgiveness would overwhelm the offense. It would overwhelm the trauma. It would overwhelm the fear. It would overwhelm the hate. It would overwhelm the anxiety. It would overwhelm it all, God. It would come in right now. That forgiveness would come in. The blood of Jesus would come in and wash the, the unforgiveness away. Wash the pain away right now. And we pray for the kids, God. Forgiveness would come. If you're a kid and you know you need to forgive your parents, you need to do it right now. 
I for, you just say, I forgive my mom. I forgive my dad. I let them go. They hurt me. Be honest. They hurt me. And you may have to do more of this in your own time. My parents hurt me bad. I walked away and I know it. Turn my heart back to my parents. So you don't strike the land with the curse. Look, when you, when you forgive your parents, it protects the land. It protects the earth. It saves the earth when you forgive your parents. Parents, when you forgive your kids, it saves the earth. He turns the hearts back. God, turn our hearts. Turn the parents and the kids' hearts right now. Do something inside of us that turns our hearts. You turn the hearts. We allow forgiveness to fill us. Just say it. I allow forgiveness to fill me, to overwhelm me, to become my filter. I allow the gospel into my life again. You just have to understand, forgiveness is how the gospel operates. The gospel does not operate in unforgiveness. Lord, let your forgiveness fill every home. We pray for the kids that are gone to come back. That somehow, God, you would, you would bring them back. Somehow, you would restore the relationship. God, we pray that you would restore the relationships today. You would start today. You would bring them back. You bring your blessing on these families. The hearts to the, to the kids and the kids' hearts to their parents. God, we pray for miracles to happen in these homes. I never thought my kid would come back, and they called me. I never thought my kid would forgive me. And when I called them, they forgave me. God, we pray for those things to happen. I never thought this was possible. I gave up. No, God, we, we, we release them from that hopelessness right now. God, I pray that this church would be known for healthy families. Healthy families. That change the world. We bless the dads. We bless the moms. We bless the kids. God, let your presence fill every, every, every person here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website at kingdomlifesa.com for more podcasts, updates, and events, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a blessed day.